Welcome to another episode of the Dumb and Dumbest Podcast, a music industry podcast where everything's terrible and the house is on fire. I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Curtis Stewart. Hello, hello. And our amazing guest, someone who I have actively admired since I was probably 15, mm-hmm. Ayal Levy. Well, I appreciate you saying that. How old are you now, though? I am 24. Okay. Well, that's cool. Well, I, that's very, very cool. I, well, I mean, appreciate you, know, you like, saying that. The uh, the peak of death was kind of around then, basically, right? I well, um, we the last ended, record came twenty ten. Yes, twenty ten. So, and I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd call that the peak. I think that was okay. the peak. Peak artistically, but yeah. uh, not the peak. Uh, <laughs> not the peak or uh, internally. <laughs> Very basically fair. but, but thank, so, thank you for having me on though i i appreciate it and i'm very happy to be here so to um to kind of provide some background before we get really into the weeds for those who don't know who you are can you kind of provide a bit of background a bit of context to what you do yes uh so the first thing that i ever did that uh anyone knows me for is my band doth i uh played guitar in it and wrote most of the music and handled the business and we were signed to roadrunner and then century media in at the you know end of the early 2000s uh, toured the world did all that cool stuff um you know did Ozfest, had videos on headbangers ball like we, we did the thing uh it never really got to the level that i wanted it to but uh it's a it was a cool thing um also made an instrumental guitar album uh, for Magna Carta Shrapnel Records around that time called Avalanche of Worms. So the very first part of my career was very, very much band and guitar centric. However, at the same time, uh, I decided that I wanted to learn how to record my own music. So I started producing in parallel. And so it kind of became my second career. And when the band ended, uh, I moved on to producing and engineering and assisting, a lot of assisting, uh, full-time at a pretty big studio. We worked on a lot of big metal records. Uh, while that was happening, though, I started to realize that it's not for me. I, I don't want to be producing bands forever. And uh, at the same time, my best friend started working for this company called Creative Live that around, I'd say, 2012, 2011, 13 was first starting to make some headway in the online education market, but it was for uh, photography. So my friend got a job there and with my help, basically with on the pitch, he talked them into starting an audio channel because they had like photography and they had business and all this other stuff, but nothing for audio. And because I was the only producer that he knew, he asked me to give a class and I didn't want to because I thought that shit was lame. But uh, I didn't see myself doing that. But I did it anyways for him. And it turned out to be awesome. Did it in 2013. It was really, really fun. I got a lot out of it. It 
gave, I got like a better response than anything I've ever done in my life, which is weird because, you know, uh, I I always thought that it would have come from my music or something like that. But this was way, way bigger of a response than anything I've done. And so I just started doing more creative lives. And I, what, what we, year is that? that that's the 2013, okay. 2013. Yeah. And I, and I also, I helped him out a lot with how, with how to like approach the channel in a legitimate way uh, because nobody at creative live were audio people. They were all photography people. So nobody there, he had like no allies that understood music or audio culture. So I was kind of, I was kind of like, you know, his silent partner in a way. Uh, and I would introduce him to producers who were known because I wasn't like a famous producer. I was just kind of known for my band and a little bit for production, but there were dudes that are way better than me who are way more famous than me that were getting on there. But I kept doing the classes and for some reason, my classes did better than the famous dudes. Um, maybe cause I cared more uh, than they did. Like maybe they just saw it as like some kind of like I used to like, some lame thing they're just going to do. <laughs> and uh, I was really, really getting into it. And by 2014, I asked Finn if they would hire me, you know, to run it with him. And he said he wasn't even going to, he wasn't going to run that by them. Like it wasn't even worth talking about because there's no possible way in hell that they go for it. So that's when I started thinking, well, you know what? Uh, I don't like, their union rules anyways they're not audio people i have i feel extremely limited by their format uh, as great as they are i'm not talking shit it's just i had a i could they had see a different setup i just yeah i just i saw where the limitations were i mean audio is a very very deep complex topic and we could only go surface level uh, given the the limitations so i just started thinking about doing it on my own doing it on my own I really wanted to get out of production. I was in a situation I did not like in Florida. I needed out. And then it just one day I, I was just like, you know what? I need to start my own company doing this the right way for, uh, for metal people. Because also the other thing I'd been noticing from producing records for a while is that metal bands were starting to record themselves. Like that's kind of, that was like the new thing every band had a dude in it that was a producer, you know, who had a Pro Tools rig. That was just the way things were going. And studios are being hired less and less for full productions and more like just drums. Then bands would record themselves for guitars and bass, sometimes vocals. Then they'd come back to mix. And it's just like, man, this home studio thing is taking off. Like, I have evidence here that I'm really good at this and people want to uh, want this from me. And... Uh, I've, I want to do something else. So I quit cold turkey, like cold turkey, and I was doing well too. I quit like basically a six-figure uh, income cold turkey to start URM, which is uh, what I'm doing now. And that was at the end of 2014, beginning of 2015. And uh, URM is, uh, at this point, it's the world's biggest online school for rock and metal producers and we're best known for our program nail the mix where uh, we feature sick bands with sick producers we give people the actual tracks from the actual records and they get to learn how to mix it from the actual people who mix it bands like lamb of god opeth like fallout boy like you know cream of the crop and we've been doing that for five years that's not the only thing we do we have several products but 
it's just grown and grown and grown. And it, like, like I said, it's by far, it eclipses every single other thing I've done. And uh, the first time that I actually felt like uh, I was being properly utilized, I guess. So from there, uh, URM is still going, but it just made sense that if this worked so well for recording, uh, well, I'm a guitar player too. I've been playing guitar since I was 13. I know what's missing in the guitar market. Why not, uh, why not start a similar thing with a similar type of community? Uh, and then we started Riff Hard. So that's, that's our other site. And there's other ones on the way. But uh, does, that, does that answer the question? Is that a good synopsis? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, it ta- and I think it's fascinating how you kind of... I, th- I think there were sort of some predecessors to some extent but not really in the same way you did it. It's fascinating the steps you've taken in sort of the, for lack of a better term, sort of the metal education uh, the, space. There were predecessors like Graham Cochran, for instance, with sure. Recording Revolution, uh, Pensado, Pensado's place. Uh, and, you know, hats off to those guys. This is very, what we did is very, very different. Yeah. Um, our whole thing was focusing specifically on the world that, I come from and that I know, which is rock and metal and not, I'm going to say this in the, um, in the nicest possible way, but uh, we wanted it to be done with music that people love and with uh, producers and mixers that people really, really look up to because sometimes, and I'm, I'm not calling anyone out, but just sometimes on the problem with the online learning situation is, Sometimes there's no credibility behind the lessons. And 100%, so, 100%. Yeah, so you don't, you don't know what you're getting. Uh, I mean, Pensado is definitely a very credible guy, but he didn't do courses. He just did YouTube videos. But uh, that's one of the big problems with online learning in general across any field yeah. is the credibility factor. And so for us, the big thing was, number one, make it practical as possible. So like the stuff that we teach, you can actually utilize in real life. It's based on stuff that I know works. So we don't, we don't really, we don't do the stuff that doesn't work. I mean, there's 8 million things you could learn about recording, but maybe 1 million of them that actually make a difference. So because myself and my two partners, Joey Sturgis and Joel Wanasek have actually done this in real life, we were able to guide it in a, direction that would actually get people results and so very 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 results oriented the other thing we did that's very very different was we created a community um which to this day is uh going super super strong and i think it's the strongest thing about us because you know metal people metal is that's what we're here for yeah i'm not sure that other genres really have that the way that we do in metal and so uh in parallel to the educational part, we created the lifestyle part. And also, because it helps the education, but also uh, it gives people who are doing this an opportunity to network and get job opportunities. Uh, they get to network with the mixers who teach uh, who teach the Nail the Mix classes. Lots of our students have gotten actual gigs, like, you know, moved up in the world because of it. And I think it's, it's different than the other offerings, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and I think that's important. I, li- I like that, uh, that viewpoint, because I think not enough people really talk, you know, 
yeah, like I, I feel like a lot of times you sign up for a course online and it's like, yeah, okay, this makes sense, but like then what? Yeah, this guy clearly hasn't <laughs> done anything. Like this is like like he seems smart, but like no one gives a shit about his stuff. Yeah, and yeah. so you don't know if the information you're getting is maybe it's good info, but at the same time, is it practical enough? Is is it the right stuff to be focusing on? Right? We only have a limited amount of time to focus on anything. So yeah. it's important that when you're learning things, uh, if you actually want to move forward and do something with it while, while you're still young, um, you should focus on the right things, in my opinion. Yeah. And that's disturbingly hard to get on the internet. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. It's, so, it's, it's, sorry, go ahead. go ahead. No, no, no. What are you saying? I was going to say, yeah, that's a stigma that we always have to fight. Yeah, I, I think that's accurate. I think, uh, you know, it, it, it's a mate. And that's what I always enjoy about what you guys do is that you cut through so much of that bullshit. Well, we have to, man. Uh, it has to be a focus because if we didn't, like, I mean, if all we did was provide really good education and community, but didn't make a point of cutting through that bullshit, I think that we wouldn't survive. And also we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't have such a positive effect on our community. So what we really want to do is uh, like our original slogan was training the next generation of audio professionals. And so our goal is to that. create the Andy Sneeps and the Will Putneys and the Colin Richardson's, of the next 10 years. And that's not going to happen if we don't cut through the bullshit. And also on a purely selfish level, we won't survive if we don't do that. So, you know, it, everybody wins if that happens, but in order to reach those people, we have to, they have to know that we're legit so that they pay attention in the yeah. first place. So it's important. You got to do that. How do you, okay. go ahead, Curtis. Sorry. I wanted I, it's it's kind of a little bit different than what you were talking about. I, I was kind of wondering about your one dollar trial. How many people actually stick uh, on the on the trial basis? Because uh, it's not really common for this type of a thing for a one dollar trial offer for something like what you're doing. I mean, okay. Well, I'm not allowed to give you the actual churn numbers. Okay, but, but I could tell you that uh, that our acquisition from the one dollar trial is through the roof okay. and that our churn um, we've compared, we've looked at benchmarks for, you know, software as a service and different educational yeah. offerings. And uh, we're right in the really good range for churn. So uh, wow. most people stick around um, at least three months. Uh, wow. Definitely a whole lot stick around for six months and some for life. Obviously there are people who get in for the $1 and realize it's not for them or yeah. you know they don't want to do more than spend the one dollar but we try really really hard to hit them with value right away like immediately for that one dollar uh, they're not just getting that month's nail the mix they're getting like eight nail the mixes and access to the community and all this stuff and uh we try to make it feel like <laughs> like a really bad idea to leave like just just uh, why would you? Because um, at the only, the only thing is it only really costs twenty dollars a month. After that, that's cheap. It's as cheap. Hell. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's not like we're charging that much to begin with, but yeah. uh, 
the uh, the churn, you know, obviously it goes up and down. Yeah. But we have, if I can answer it kind of vaguely, I can say we've grown constantly over the past five years. So well, now one, one other question I have is on the pricing. How, why do you guys have it that cheap? That just seems like ridiculously low compared to a lot of places and it's a good value. Well, because uh, we know that people don't just have, uh, especially musicians and young producers don't just have money to burn, number Fair. one. Yeah. Uh, a lot of that money is going to go towards gear. Um, yeah. It's going to go towards life. Mm-hmm. And uh, number two, we're trying to create a community and a movement here. And in order for that, we need volume. And so for that, the price has to be low enough to where enough people can, uh, can access it. If we were to be doing even $50 a month subscriptions, it would cut out lots of people who, you know, maybe like a 17 year old who barely has any money who really wants, wants to get good at this. Uh, also Mm -hmm. the other thing, one of my big, uh, one of my big things, I guess it's a value that, that we really, really stick to is to provide an overwhelming yeah. amount of value with every single thing we do to where it's a no brainer, even with our premium courses, like, you know, we do sell $300 courses, but we make the amount of value that they get out of that. So insane that $300 is like no big deal. It's worth so much more than that. And I know that with the internet marketing, you know, sometimes you'll see like where they will be like, an eighteen hundred dollar value for only mm-hmm. nineteen ninety, you know, for not nineteen ninety nine, yep. but like you know, you know what yep. I'm saying. Nah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah. But and it kind of feels scammy. Uh, yeah. So that's not how I mean it. Like we actually, uh, we actually are trying to give them a lot more than what they're paying for, and I think that that is that's a big part of why the churn is healthy. The other mm-hmm. reason is that um, the community part is so, so strong. I think a lot of people, not I think, I know. I know a lot of people stay around. Even if they don't like the band of the month, they still stay mm-hmm. around because of the community. These are their friends. These are their peers. And uh, they're not, they're not going to leave just because they don't like Opeth or Bring Me the Horizon or something. It, yeah. Also, we try to get through their heads that, to only work on bands that you like is a complete luxury. So yeah. you should be open to working on anything you can. And with the community understanding that, it makes it a lot easier to have them stick around. But, uh, can, but can, to, uh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, can, can you kind of go over that a little bit more? Because that's one thing that me and Matt always see happen is where people don't want to take on certain types of work or certain type of gigs because they don't like it or they're not into it or whatever. And I just thought that was a key point. So can you kind of go over that a little bit? Yeah. Well, I guess you got to look at what their goals are, right? If they're just doing Mm -hmm. it for fun, then that's one thing. If they're just doing it for fun, then it's a lot harder to get them to understand that they should learn from anything that they can, any genre, especially because when they're, first starting in those formative years, they don't have their style down. They don't have their voice. They're still figuring it out. So how can they possibly know what they're going to be good at unless they try yeah. lots of different things? So we try to, 
we try to hammer that in honestly like uh like i when i hear people be like i want to leave because i don't like this band i'll be very very straight up with them and not not going to shame them or anything but just be blunt mm -hmm. like you realize that producers who get to choose who to work with are like the one percent of the one percent like, yeah. you're not you're not that and until you get to that you should be thankful that you even have the chance to look at tracks that are on this level and learn from these people. So yeah. your attitude is just wrong. And I'm not afraid to, I'm not afraid to just be straightforward about that. Now, again, it depends on their goals. If their goal is just to do it for fun, then, and it's not fun to work on fallout boy, if they're into death metal. Okay, fine. But I think most of our students, either they want to do it professionally or they at least want to get a lot better at it. Like they're like, they, it's like a serious hobby. And because it's a serious hobby, uh, they do want to, they do want to learn. So maybe they don't see it as like a career, but it's not just something they're tinkering with. It's the tinkerers that, that it's tougher with, but we're not really doing this for the tinkerers anyways. Yeah. Well, how do you sort out getting the tinkerers to even not join up? Because, I mean, there's always going to be, you know, the unserious person who signs up and then they kind of complain. You know what I mean? Like, how do you get kind of weed those people out from the beginning? I don't try to weed them out from the beginning. Okay. What I'm Fair. hoping is that from starting as a tinkerer, they'll fall in love with it through the community and through the quality of the education we give them. A lot of people who have come in have come in as tinkerers and, you know, become obsessed with it. So... Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to try to turn people away just because they're not that serious about it. Now it, it could just be an entry point, you know, a gateway to something that could change their lives or at least enrich their lives. So I'm not going to prejudge what somebody's potential is nice. before they're even in, in the community, you know, so get them in and uh, then see what happens. How do you how do you kind of foster that community then after they join? Like how do you make how do you make sure that they really do kind of get what they want and more okay, on a well, consistent basis? There's a there's a limit, obviously, because we can't control what anybody does. And so yeah. I think that this is true of any online education or really any education anywhere. Yeah. Uh, you can only you can only go so far, right? Like you can't make somebody do the work and you can't make somebody apply themselves. And, uh, it, it can be, that could be very frustrating. I think, I think that's probably frustrating also for teachers that, that teach in person brick and mortar schools that, but so you have to start from the understanding that you're not going to be able to reach everybody. First totally. of all, first and foremost. So with that out of the way, uh, we work very, very hard on making the community a place where if there is going to be that spark, it's going to be developed. And so, first of all, there's some very, very strict, but, but uh, I'd say fair rules. Like, for instance, we don't allow any shit talking in our group, in our community, cool. like any shit talking at all. Like it's forbidden. And it's not because we want to limit people's speech, but because the internet is such a fucking cesspool out there. Like you can go to a million audio groups and uh, 
If you want to shit talk, there are so many places for that. That is not what we're about. We're here to help people. And so we don't want, we don't want beginners to ask a question and then get flamed by a bunch of dudes that aren't even pro. That's the thing that I see in all these other audio groups is people will get shamed and ridiculed by people who have never done anything in their lives. And this, yep. it's really bothers the shit out of me. So yep. if, if I see that stuff, uh, we clamp down on them and we don't allow it. I've got a team of about 10 admins who we've trained for this and uh, they're, they're great. We, we don't allow assholes in the group. Uh, and we get rid of them very, very fast. So that's number one. Number two, when beginners ask questions, uh, we make sure that they get all the help that they need. But the thing is, because we've been doing this so long and have encouraged that type of behavior, the community itself takes care of itself. So oh, great. we've created a culture where, uh, where people feel accepted and for the first time ever online, they feel comfortable asking questions. If they feel comfortable asking questions, it means they're gonna get answers. If they get answers, that means they're gonna get better, they're gonna get results, and therefore they're gonna to wanna to ask more questions and then they'll be able to help more people out. So it kind of, it's like a feedback loop almost. Then we have other things that we do that are just deliberate things. Like obviously COVID is happening now, but uh, in non-COVID times and even during COVID times, this just happens online. We have chapters all over the world. We've got about 75 chapters Wow! from Paris, you know, Nashville, all over the place. And these chapters meet in person and uh, they, they, create real friendships and also working relationships. And, you know, being an audio engineer is a solitary kind of lifestyle. And it's rare to find other engineers in your town unless you live in a place like LA, let alone audio engineers, but audio engineers that are into what we're into, that's, it's really hard to find. So for a lot of these people, this is the first time too, that like they're finding their own people. So the the relationships between them, I think is a big, big part. And this comes down to the difference between a community and an audience, which I think is really, really key. So we're not trying to build an audience. We're trying to build a community. And the way that I differentiate that is an audience is like me, me, the Mm -hmm. boss here runs this uh, talking to the audience and they're responding Mm -hmm. to me. That's an audience. Community is when they're talking to each other. So, uh, and maybe I can pop in and say some things and they'll respond to me, but by and large, our aim is to have them talking to each other. So it's not about them being my audience. And uh, that's a, it's a very different way of approaching it than if you're trying to build an audience. But to me, that's, uh, that's the huge distinction. And uh, that's, that's, once you get that going, then it, once it gets, you get that going, you cut out the cancers when they pop up because, you know, some people are just toxic. Then yeah. it just kind of takes on a life of its own, in my opinion. How do, you, how do you get that going then initially? Because, I mean, a lot of people, when they first start out teaching or when they're even with their career, they're looking for the audience instead of the community. Like, how do you kind of phase into getting that community when you're first starting out with your teaching and stuff? Well, it, it's hard if you don't have any credibility, you know? Totally. That's, <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's a huge part. That I, that. Yeah. 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 Oh, by the way, I see that our meeting time has like nine minutes left. Yeah. But, uh, 
Okay. So anyways, um, so I really, really think that if people want to do online teaching, mm -hmm. they should develop their credibility first. And totally. I know that that's not what people want to hear, but I think that it's what they should do. The reason that URM works is because of the credibility behind it. The reason Riff Hard works is because of the credibility behind it. So in, I realized that that sounds like uh, an audience building tactic, but it's not. That Having that credibility is what has allowed us to mold this culture. If you don't have that credibility and the track record, who the hell is going to care in the first place? You're not even going to have the the raw materials with which to build that community. 100%. So I think that trying to build a community before you have the credibility is cart before the horse kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's going to be very close to impossible. I'm not saying it's not possible. It's just mm -hmm. going to, it's just, there's a huge difference between when you do something that, uh, that has momentum and product market fit and, uh, and, is done the right way versus when you're trying to force something. If you don't have a name, don't have credibility, don't have expertise, then you're trying to force it. And what reason would people have to be in your community? They actually have a reason to be in our community. Lots of reasons, reasons that go years deep at this point, but it all started because of the credibility factor. The reason that people came in was because me and Joey, for instance, did real things in the industry. Like I had been in the industry for like 10 years at that point when I did that, when URM started, Joey had already, you know, created an entire genre of music at that point. Like we yeah. were, we were, I guess, I don't want to say uh, thought leaders or anything yet, but maybe something along those lines. Yeah. So you want to build a community, build yourself first, I think. Yeah, cool. I think that's all said. Now, um, we don't have a ton of time left, but you recently expanded into uh, <clears throat> Riff Hard. Can you talk to us about that and what it means and how it kind of shaped things? Yeah, so it's really simple. There's about a million guitar sites out there that will tell you how to play lead guitar because that's the thing that is sexiest, I guess, about guitar. But if you think about it, that's something that happens about 2% of the time. And the rest of the time, rhythm, riffs, and tone are what's happening. And that's kind of what gives the vibe of a record that if you think when you go see a band that crushes live, typically there's a great rhythm tone. Like that's, that's like the meat and potatoes of metal and rock, great rhythm guitar. And in order to be a great lead guitar player, you have to have great rhythm. And it just is something that's not really, it's not really uh, taught anywhere. I've never seen anywhere seriously cover it. It's just this huge gap, I, I think. And I noticed that guitar, this is from recording guitar players and from going on the road with guitar players. They focus way too much on the flashy shit, not enough on the super important shit. And uh, rhythm, having good rhythm, makes you better at everything it makes you more hireable it, it just makes you better and so that's what we decided to focus on there's nothing out there for it so that's where we went and we did it with john brown who i think is the best rhythm guitarist since james hatfield and so again that credibility factor really really matters that people know him as 
that guy. They, they know that if you're going to go study how to play sick-ass rhythms and sick-ass riffs and have sick-ass guitar tone, that's the dude you want to do it from. That's why we did it with him. We didn't just pick some dude out of, out of the blue. We picked him because he's the guy for that. And then we just built the same type of community as URM where people help each other. And uh, it's all based on basically getting the next generation of sick-ass guitar players. That's, uh, that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> I love it. I love that attitude so much. Um, do you have any sort of final, um, I, yeah, any, any sort of final points you want to go over before we wrap this thing up? Final points about what? URM, entrepreneurship and music, who put, which bands are posers, you know, words of wisdom, whatever. Which bands are posers? Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> I, I'll just say this. Um, the people listening, I'm sure because of the nature of your podcast have, uh, have ambitions for getting their stuff, whatever their stuff is out there and, you know, having people purchase it and gain followers, do, do all that cool stuff. Uh, I think that the biggest thing that holds people up and this is in life is that their effort doesn't typically match their ambitions. So I think if you're trying to do something real in this world, first of all, just be honest with yourself. Are you, do you really, really want it? And if you really, really want it, are you really, really willing to do what it takes to get there? And if not, that's fine. That's totally cool. Just accept it, own it, because you're going to be miserable otherwise. So know thyself and uh, figure out what it is you really want to do, how far you want to go. And if you have huge dreams, then just prepare, be prepared for a huge effort and a huge sacrifice. Very well said. This Thanks. isn't Dumb and Dumbest. You have been listening. Are we done yet?